Okay, this is Ra Writing Excuses, Episode 2, Blending the Familiar and the Original. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. And I'm Dan. Fifteen minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. All right, let's get right into it. Um, last week, Howard mentioned something that we, we called a can of worms, which means we want to talk more about it, which is this concept of wedding an ordinary idea and an extraordinary idea. Will you explain that again to us, Howard? Sure. I was reading an essay by Stephen R. Donaldson in which he talked about uh, how he comes up with great ideas for science fiction or fantasy. This was from a science fiction series, and he said that uh, he would take a, a fairly mundane idea and something that was out there or extraordinary and merge them together. And we're already expounding on the whole yeah, concept. Right. Um, he had a... Uh, pirate slash bounty hunter, which is the ordinary idea, who had a really funny name, which was the extraordinary mm -hmm. idea. I didn't think that that was a very right. good example. In my own work, I've had the idea of, well, we've got a, a worm gate system for teleporting throughout the galaxy. Mm -hmm. 50 years ago, that would have been the extraordinary right. idea. Now, that's now normal. it's yeah. mundane. Right. The extraordinary idea was this system also has the ability to copy you. Right. And someone's been abusing it. The moment I thought of that, and I thought of it at the airport waiting mm -hmm. for my sister-in-law, um, the moment I thought of that, I realized I've got something here. And I have exploited that idea for five years of story. Great story, actually. It's one of those thing, moments when you hit the story, and it was, it was just awesome when I realized what was going on. Um, this whole concept relates to something I've been reading about. Um, I've mentioned Terry Rossio before, screenwriter. Um, he calls it the strange attractor. Um, it's the same exact concept. When he, want, when he comes up with a pitch for a movie, or when he hears a pitch for a movie, he's expecting a strange attractor. Something that attracts, something you've, that's familiar, that you've seen before, but something strange about it. Um, so let's, let's talk about what's familiar. What do we mean when we say the familiar or when we say the attractor? Dan? Well, something familiar is, is something that you can relate to, something that is already in your head. Um, you know, if, if, even if it's as simple as uh, high school, a story about a high school kid, and you take that, this is a very common kind of a manga thing, that you'll have very simple story about a high school kid, and your audience relates to that because most of them are in high school. And so it fits right into their brain. And then you add something strange, such as your teacher is actually an alien or a demon or an angel or some weird thing like that, or a robot. And then you've taken this very mundane thing that people can relate to and that lets them locate themselves within your story. And then you've thrown a twist in. Okay. Um, but don't we veer into the dangerous ground of... Uh, we've mentioned this is um, a lot of manga does this. Has it become a cliche? Um, at what point does the, the thing that was the original become the familiar? Any thoughts? Uh, sure. The juxtaposition itself is at risk of becoming common. Mm -hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Exactly. Uh, we have high school and we have vampires, supernatural, witches, monsters, mm -hmm. whatever. We see it a lot in manga. We see it enough now that any time I am reading or watching something about kids in high school, I'm waiting for the monsters. Right. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. That's not to say, though, that you can't tell a fun story in which the mundane is blended with the supernatural, mm -hmm. you know, vampires, witches, monsters, 
and have it work for right. us. You just can't use the same juxtaposition over and over. Well, and, and I think one issue on this also is understanding that different people have different desires on how much they want of the original, how much they want a familiar. There are people out there that are wanting 99% familiar, 1% original. And that's, that's why romance novels feel so similar, is they're wanting, the, the, the original is a different name, um, is what they're wanting. And it depends <laughs> on the, the genre. I, you laugh, but that's how it is. In that genre, that's what people want. In manga, it seems to me that they're wanting, a, a lot of the readers are wanting maybe you know, 70% um, familiar and 30% original. Whereas science fiction, in my opinion right now, they, it's, it's kind of gotten to the point that science fiction wants 60 or 70% original, and they want 30% the familiar. Well, and different audiences will want different things. There are, there's a significant portion of the fantasy market that want Tolkien-esque fantasy. They want it to be primarily familiar with a couple of other things. And then you've got uh, you know, the other portion, kind of the China Maiville fans, that want it to be completely new and bizarre. They don't want very much familiar at all. There's still familiar elements, yeah. but they want a different ratio. Yeah. One of the risks in that is, uh, in science fiction especially, um, uh, what they've uh, begun calling, I think, the singularity and post-singularity, mm -hmm. yep. which is the point at which our artificial intelligences and our uh, societal modifications have progressed so far that the writer is no longer able to create characters that are recognizable as characters. Mm -hmm. um, from a world-building perspective, this is phenomenally interesting. Yeah. From a character-driven character fiction yeah. perspective, <clears throat> I'm sorry, you've lost me. If I yep. can't identify with the characters, I don't want to read. Yep. Um, I think this is, you know, we focus mostly on genre fiction here. Uh, fantasy writers, horror writers, science fiction writers. And I think in science sci-fi fantasy, um, when you sit, you sit down to write, I think you need to make a decision how much familiar, how much original am I going to do? Because there's a market for both. It's been brought up. There's a market for the Tolkien-esque fantasy. I think it's much smaller than it once was. There is a, a market for the very, um, the very extreme end. I think Cory Doctorow's over here too, um, doing very wildly different concepts and ideas. I think that that's, that's expanded, but I think that you're going to find the, the largest audience is going to be in the middle. You always want to write for the largest audience? I don't think so, but um, you have to decide where you are on that continuum and how, who you're writing for and who, how you're going to market it to I'm, them. I'm going to call can of worms on yeah. myself right now. <laughs> write the story you want to read. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. That's a great... That's, yeah. yeah. We definitely need to do a, a, an episode on that. But um, I, I, I'd like to go back, if I could, mm -hmm. could interrupt, before we get too far away from this. But we talked about... Um, um, the uh, something that used to be the f the uh, bizarre thing becoming the familiar thing. Yes, and uh, I I think part of the key to to finding the audience you're looking for is uh, is being aware of those trends. You know, you have to be on top of what else is being written and what else is is uh, is being read. Yeah. For example, we had the high school idea with the demons that we have said is, is to the point that it's almost a cliche now. And if I can pimp my own book for a minute, <laughs> it, it, it started with that entire premise as the basic, the mundane element. Mm -hmm. There's a high school kid fighting a demon. Yep. That entirety is, is just the mundane. And then the bizarre part is that the kid himself 
is a sociopath and uh, very dangerous and much more of a monster than the monster he's fighting. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to, being aware of those and then playing with them, I think is, is a key part of staying on top of the market. You know, we need like a, a pimp signal so that, you know, we can like, <laughs> the other of us hum in the background when somebody is pimping their work. That I think would, I, I did it in the last one. That would be awesome. We were going to say something. Oh, yeah, I, w I was. The, the idea that you have the mundane and the extraordinary, um, sometimes the extraordinary can be something that is also mundane. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned, you know, the extraordinary element was he's a sociopath. Mm -hmm. I've got news for you. Sociopaths are kind of mundane because mm -hmm. we've got a lot of them. Yeah. Right. I'm working on the next Schlock Mercenary storyline, mm -hmm. and one of the thoughts that came to mind was, well, I haven't taken Tagon's Tufts and sent them on a relief mission yet. Mm. I haven't had these mercenaries paid to deliver supplies to defenseless people who there's no need for any shooting whatsoever. That would be the mundane <laughs> element. That would be the mundane element. The, the, you're all oh, laughing I want because, to see Schlock's eyes oh when gosh, they explain that can, one. <laughs> oh gosh, what can go wrong? The extraordinary element which I'm still looking mm -hmm. for, is, well, what can go wrong with a relief mm -hmm. mission? How bad can Charlie <laughs> dance the foxtrot when no one was expecting a shot to be fired? Mm -hmm. There's Now, you look at that, none of that is inherently science fiction. Yeah. That could be written in mm -hmm. Bosnia, that could be written in Central America. Mm-hmm. So, but it's in a science fiction setting, yeah. so people are going to call it sci-fi. Right. Now, now this uh, reminds I'm, me. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, please. Well, I, I just wanted to, to jump in here, and um, you, you go ahead and talk, Dan. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take it a different direction. This, so. this, this is building right on top of mm -hmm. what Howard was just talking about, and, and I remember reading years ago um, an essay about uh, genius and, and what the quality of genius is, and they ended up defining it, for purposes of this article, as combining two fields of thought that had not been combined before. Mm. Um, most of the people that history looks at as geniuses, that's all they did. They took two very mundane things, but put them together in a way no one had ever done before. Okay. And so I think your extraordinary, um, extraordinary element can be mundane. Can but be the, the juxtaposition. But the fact that you're combining yeah. them is the extraordinary thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that, for me, I, I focus on the fantasy market. I write fantasy books. I look at it. I watch science fiction as well. And it's been very interesting to me to watch how the market has evolved. Um, we started with, with the explosion of Tolkien. Yes, fantasy existed before Tolkien, but Tolkien is what brought worldwide attention to the genre and what got its own genre imprints in the 70s. Um, and at that point, Donaldson, who's been mentioned before, Donaldson was essentially writing in a Tolkien world um, and then adding, a, um, adding Thomas Covenant. Um, you were seeing a lot of Tolkien-esque sort of things. And then I look at the 90s, where I saw people like um, Robert Jordan get really big, who were able to say, this is the story that's been done. Let's take it one step further toward the original and one step away from the familiar. And, you know, we'll still use the hero's journey, but instead we're going to drop the elves and the dwarves and we're going to drop um, you know, the, the mystical magic and we're going to make it a different sort of quest. We're going to put different things in the world. And then I think in the 2000s what we're seeing in this genre is people are taking further steps. Um, this isn't to say the other ones are bad at all. It's just that I think that's where the genre is shifting toward, all right, let's do things other than the hero's journey. We've seen this too much. Let's expand. And I, I see this happening, and I think one important thing that Dan said is you learn to anticipate what's the familiar and what's the original and learn how to hit your market that way. Um, any comments on that? 
Okay. Sounds wow. good to well, me. How do you, what's that? Uh, just uh, last words. So we got three yeah, minutes left. Yeah, we got three minutes left. Let's, uh, Let's go last words. Howard? Um, Sir Isaac Newton uh -huh. said, we're on the topic of genius, mm -hmm. uh, said, if I see far, it's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah. You've mentioned yeah. literary giants in the mm -hmm. fantasy world. Um, the current crop of aspiring authors see a long way because of what has gone yeah. before. Don't stand on the shoulders of giants and look around. Yeah. Stand on the shoulders of giants, pick something that is out of reach, and then jump for it. Yeah. Pick something just weird and extraordinary, and from this vantage point that we've got today, uh, make a leap and take a risk. Okay. Dan, closing words. Um, closing words. We seem to constantly be quoting people in our final words. But I remember something uh, that David Farland said that I thought was, that was I've, I've always remembered every time I start writing a book, which was uh, when you're putting a book together, the book uh, will be much better if you can take one unimportant thing and explain the heck out of it, and one very important thing and don't explain it at all. Don't even mention it if possible. Uh, that makes the world seem more real. It makes the story seem more interesting. It's, it's almost more of a world-building thing than a, than, a, than a story generation thing, so, so it might be off-topic for this podcast, but I, I, I do think it relates, so okay. there you go. Uh, my parting, parting words would be take a long look at your original and decide if it's really original or not. Uh, a lot of aspiring writers I meet think they have something original when it's been done before. This gets back to read extensively in your genre, or it's just not big enough a step. I have a good friend who, um, and I can mention this because we all did this, a lot of us when we were young writers, but he, his first book that he was working on when I, when I first met him, he said, <clears throat> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just like Tolkien, except my orcs are different, so I'm spelling them with a K. Um, and my orcs, my orcs do this. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're much more heroic than regular orcs. Everything else was exactly Tolkien, um, except for his orcs had a K. So now it's Tolkien <laughs> plus Games Workshop. Yeah, exactly. It, it was, and I, I looked at this and I said, this, this isn't original. People think that their take on elves is going to be original. They're not. That's okay. You can write a Tolkien-esque setting, but don't, but if you're trying to write something original, and blend it with the familiar, take a long look at your original, and usually you can take a few more steps if your familiar is as strong as something like that. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. Join us next week. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.